worthwhile for us to intentionally discern how it is God that, that God might want us to commit our financial gifts and also how God might want us to also uh, commit ourselves in the work that God is doing. Because two things. Number one, we live in a very commitment-phobic um, culture. You know, I was uh, signing up uh, on Amazon for a particular uh, subscription, and I realized that the only reason that I was willing to sign up for this subscription is because it gives me a trial um, 30 days before I have to cancel it. And of course, I put in my iPhone the day before it's supposed to, you know, <laughs> kick in so that I can go ahead and cancel this particular subscription. We are commitment folks. We do not like to somehow sign on the dotted line and feel like we are saying all yes unless we have an out to our yes. Maybe is a very comfortable place for us to live. So as we talk about our whole selves, our whole beings, our monetary resources, our gifts, our brilliance, our God-soaked humanity, offering it all over to God, we need a, a month sometimes more to learn what it is to give our full selves to the ways in which God is at work in our community. The second reason why we have given ourselves a whole month to discern how God might want us to offer up our financial gifts and also commit ourselves to be all in for the ways in which God is at work is because, um, as Martin Luther once said, that there are three conversions. There's a conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and then lastly, the conversion of the purse. We oftentimes live with three false realities that one, we either don't have enough and so it makes it really difficult to give, or we feel that what we have, we earned it, and so then we want to hold on to those possessions that we have because we believe that those possessions give us life. Or thirdly, we look at what we have when we don't think that our gifts have any import or significance, and so we don't feel a level of imagination to hand them over to God. It is really difficult to be all in and to be committed and specifically to give not only of our monetary resources, but also to give of our lives. But here's what we believe here at our Southeast Raleigh table, that when we're all in for God's dreams, that whatever we offer up to God, whether we think it is small or we think it is grand, whether we think it's minuscule or we think that it's magnanimous, whenever we're all in for God's dreams and we trust God with our gifts, we will see miracles happen with our very own eyes within our lifetime. And so we want to end this series believing that when we commit to the things that God is committed to, that when we lean in the direction to, in the things that God leans into, that those things matter most. That when we look over the survey of our lives and we're like, you know what, I'm all in for the things that God is all in, we will never walk away remorseful. We will never walk away feeling like our lives were not well spent. We will never walk away not seeing with our own eyes, what God was able to do, not only in us, but what God is able to do through us. So I pray this morning that as you've been discerning over the last couple of weeks, how it is that you're going to make a financial commitment or how it is that you're going to commit yourselves by offering up your gifts in service in this place, that you have courage like you had not the first week to believe that God will show up for you, that God went all in for you, and so we can also go all in for God. Will you pray with me that we might hear God's word 
not only read, but also proclaimed, that we might live in that way. God, we thank you and we praise you, for you are a living God. And we thank you and we praise you that you are a living God who lives and breathes and moves through us. We thank you and we praise you that you show up in the power of your word, not only tickling our ears, but also stamped on our hearts so that we might live out your powerful word with our lives. So God, we pray that you would speak to us in a way that we can hear you. That this would not just simply be a moment where you pass us by, but that this might be a moment that by the power of your word, you might dwell within. And that by the power of your word, we might see our lives as miracles. We pray all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Just so you know that I haven't forgotten, I am going to get to the passage of scripture, but I first want to just share something with you. If you ever need a dose of courage, if you ever need to know what a fierce life looks like, spend time with children. All you need to do is go to our original campus, Edenton Street United Methodist Church, which is about nine blocks between nine o'clock and 12 o'clock in the afternoon and walk through the hallways on the second floor to see all of the children at the early childhood program. And if you watch these children closely, you will see what a courageous life looks like. Because friends, on any given day, if you're walking the hallways at Edenton Street, you will see literally toddlers that go to fisticuffs with each other, children that literally yank their parents' hands all over the place, children who lay prostrate on the ground, all because they want to push the button on the elevators. <laughs> if you walk through the hallways of Eden Street United Methodist Church between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m., you will see children who have backpacks, three-year-olds who have backpacks that are twice their body weight, who are walking up the staircases, literally climbing like they're walking up Mount Kilimanjaro, and they're like, there's no mountain they won't climb up to get to the second floor. <laughs> there is a little girl, I won't say her name, there is a little girl who is at, enrolled at the ECP who consistently wears every single day a bathing suit and tennis shoes as her outfit. <laughs> And if you go so far as to also listen to what the children say when they're walking up and down the hallways, you will hear these four words that remind me of children's courage and also their fierceness. Let me do it. Let me push the elevator button. Let me choose what I want to wear, a bathing suit and cowboy boots. Let me carry this bag that is way too heavy to get up to the second floor. Let me do it. I wonder what changes in us as adults that our protestations when we were younger, let me do it, turns into I can't do it. 
I wonder what shifts in our understanding about our power and our ability that when we see something in front of us, instead of thinking that, oh my goodness, maybe I've got the power within me, I've got the majesty within me, I've got the glory within me to maybe make this thing happen that instead of saying, let me do it. And I'm not talking about, oh, I want to be independent. I want to heal myself. I want to save myself. I want to offer grace to myself. I'm not talking about in those moments, but that somehow when we are faced with grand challenges in the world, we somehow begin to like shoot on ourselves and we cannot believe that we have the ability to do things. That's why I want us to revisit um, the scripture lesson from last week. This isn't um, a fluke that I'm going to read Matthew chapter 14 again for us. Because the disciples have this moment where they also, though they are walking with the master, These individuals who are equipped to say, let me do it, have moments where over and over again before Jesus, they're like, I can't do it. So hear now these words in Matthew chapter 14, beginning with the 13th verse. It says this, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, when they got word that Jesus was in that deserted place, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, the the scripture reminds us that there are these crowds that are following Jesus. And as they find themselves farther and farther away from um, the, the city center, the disciples recognize that these people have a need that there's just not enough food where they are in the countryside to to satisfy the hunger that these individuals must be feeling. Now, Jesus has great compassion, it says, on these individuals. He is healing them. He is curing the sick that they're bringing to them. But the disciples, I don't necessarily believe that they don't have compassion for the people. They just don't think that they're able to meet the particular need that the people have in this moment, which is their hunger. And so the disciples go to Jesus with this plan. They're like, Jesus, we are out here in the countryside. There's not enough food here in the countryside. Why don't you send them back? You know what's so funny is that instead of the disciples sending them, saying, hey, you guys send them back, they're like, no, 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 Jesus, you tell them they need to go on back to the village to get food. Now, we know the end of the story. Jesus doesn't send this crowd of 5,000 people back. Jesus ultimately feeds the 5,000. He takes the small gifts that the disciples give to him 
He offers those gifts to God the Father. Those gifts are multiplied, and then the disciples are able to distribute so that everyone eats their fill, and then there's even stuff left over. We see Jesus perform this beautiful miracle, and the disciples get to be a distributor of the miracle. But I don't want you to miss what else Jesus sees. Jesus also sees the disciples. Jesus also sees the disciples. When they come to Jesus, maybe their hearts also filled with compassion, but feeling like their gifts are inadequate. Oh, Jesus, listen, you need to send them back because we don't have enough food. This is what Jesus says to them. You need not send them away. The message version says this, there's no need to dismiss them. You give them something to eat. Jesus sees something in the disciples. Jesus believes something of the disciples. Jesus trusts something of the disciples that they have the ability to feed the crowds. And if Jesus only trusts the disciples to offer up their gifts and to place them in his hands, he still trusts them to place the gifts in his hands. This passage Though it's about Jesus performing a miracle, it's also a reminder that Jesus thinks that we can be the template for a miracle. Now, I want you to know this, that um, in this particular passage of scripture, it is not a fluke. It's, it's not a fluke that Jesus looks at the disciples and says to them, no, don't tell them to go away. You, you have the ability to give them something to eat. Because actually in the 15th chapter of... Um, of Matthew's gospel, which is literally the next chapter over, it happens that the disciples find themselves among 4,000 individuals. And when they're among the 4,000 individuals, guess what the disciples decide they, that they can't do? They go to Jesus, and they tell Jesus, Jesus, you know what? Like, we don't know that, this, uh, that we're going to be able to feed, we're going to be able to feed the people. And in fact, Jesus even says to the disciples, you know what, I don't want to send them away because they have been with us for three days. If they try to take the journey back into town, they will surely collapse. So the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, literally a chapter over, Jesus, you just need to send them back. And guess what Jesus does? Because it's not a fluke. He asked the disciples, do you have any bread? Guess what the disciples say? Friends, the disciples say, we have seven loaves of bread. We have seven loaves of bread. In chapter 14, Send them back. No, don't send them back. You give them something. Well, all we have is five loaves of bread. And out of the five loaves of bread, 5,000 were fed. And then a chapter over, do you have any bread? Well, we've got seven loaves of bread. And Jesus multiplies the, the bread 
and the few fish that the disciples also had, and everyone is fed. It's not a fluke that God trusts us. In the creation account in Genesis, when God looks at everything that God has created, and when God says that everything that God has created is very good, when God has created humankind and says that humankind is going to be made in God's image, this what is the beautiful charge and the commission that is given over humanity's life. God says that you are going to have dominion over all things, that literally you're going to get to steward the earth, that you're going to get to name every creeping animal and everything that is above and below that you actually have the ability to steward my creation, my good, my good gift. Because God isn't going to hand over a gift to someone who's going to be faulty with a good gift. Surely not something that God would say when God looked at everything that God created and said it was very good. And now you, I trust you to be a steward of it. It's not a fluke that Jesus sees something in us. It is not a fluke that God sees something in us. The thing is, do we see it in ourselves? Piddling around with our five pieces of bread and our two pieces of fish, and then we see God do something miraculous with it. And then our memory gets a little foggy when we have seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Our memory gets a little foggy about what happens when God looks at us and says, no, 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 no. You can make this thing happen. You can do this. Mark Batterson says this, we get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble when we rely on our memory and not our imagination. That as soon as we begin to rely on our memory and not our imagination, that is the beginning of death. Because our memory will always recount where we disappointed ourselves and where we disappointed others. Our memory will always remind us when the other shoe dropped and when we couldn't provide. The, our memory is going to tell us about the time when we just weren't able to do enough or we weren't able to get enough. But our imagination reminds us that when we place things in God's hands, things get multiplied. That when we lean into dead places, sometimes life erupts. That when we go into the pit of despair, sometimes we're brought into a, a high mountain of praise. That's what our imagination does for us. So when Jesus looks at us, friends, Jesus doesn't just use Jesus' memory. <laughs> but Jesus uses Jesus' imagination. You, human flesh, you are the light of the world. Imagination. You, human flesh, you are salt, the God colors of the world. Jesus. I believe wants us sometimes to have more of a spirit of the God, let us do it. This whole idea that we are the ones we have been waiting for is not a farce. This idea that we were created for a purpose and to bring about God's vision for the world is not a farce. The idea that as long as we have breath in our lungs, we might see the kingdom of heaven come a little bit of closer to earth because our, our mission as those who are Christians is not just to get into heaven, but for heaven to get into us so that we can make the world like the heavenly realm. So that Jesus has his eyes on us. 
and sometimes invites us to do it. And even if all we do is place the thing into God's hands, Jesus still believes that we can do it. So do we trust ourselves in who God has made us to be? And do we trust our gifts and how God might want us to use them? And do we trust our resources and how God might multiply them? Do we trust that we can do it? I am oftentimes inspired by church communities that know better than to believe that church is a noun, but church is a verb. You're not just people who come to worship. That's not what it means to be church. Your church is to be the called out ones who actually believe that God wants to do something in you and also through you. So that the world might look a little bit more like the way in which God has envisioned the world to be. There is this church in Possum Track, Texas. Isn't that a name for a town? (laughs) This church is about half the size of our worshiping community in, in regards to its attendance, about 70 individuals or so. And this particular church began to ask God, God, what do you think we have the ability to do? This church didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a really lovely sleek bus. They didn't have a whole, like a website and all of these other things that we sometimes think make for church communities. But one of the things that this church knew that they knew how to do was to love. So over the course of about 10 years, this particular church community fostered 72 children. They literally became parents to the parentless. But what if? What if they said, but Jesus, we don't have a website. But Jesus, we don't have a daycare center. But Jesus, we don't have children's programming. But Jesus, we don't have a bus. There's this other church also in Texas. I tell you, churches in Texas are always about something. There's this other church that's in Texas. It's actually in the Houston area, a little bit larger than Possum Track. And this particular church began to ask God, God, what is it that you would have us to do? How would you want us to use our resources, not just our monetary resources, but the resources that we are, your people that you say have been stamped by your God, good humanity. And they believed that they wanted um, to come alongside third graders in one of the uh, school districts in Houston. And because this particular church was all in with reading for third graders, they actually began to change the trajectory of the reading rates for third graders in their city. But what if they said, we're not education specialists? What if they said, for the past 75 years, children haven't read on track in this particular school district? What if they said, well, I don't have a whole lot of time to really commit to these kids? Jesus is looking at us and is telling us, do not dismiss them. You give them something to eat. 
This year, we're going to be all in for Bug Elementary School. Bug Elementary School has been given an F rating. It's considered a below average school. It is a school that is filled with brown and black children, oftentimes who are always left behind. And when people talk about children at Bug Elementary School, they always want to talk about their deficits because they have a memory they don't use an imagination. But guess what? Jesus is telling us, do not dismiss them. You give them something. This year, we're going to be all in for Zoe as our global ministry. It's an entrepreneurial program for orphans who are in Kenya. Children who have been left behind many times because of AIDS or because of warfare or because of just domestic unrest in their households. And we know all of the statistics for, um, for young and vulnerable children in this particular uh, village. But guess what? Jesus is looking at us and saying, do not dismiss them. You are going to give to them. We live in a city where the disparities around wealth and housing are so great, they are worse than they were even in the 60s. And we are going to be all in for home ownership preparedness because gentrification will never get the final word. There's another G that I know that is bigger than gentrification. By the way, call him God, a little bit larger than the other G. And we know all of the statistics. And we know where our uh, leaders want to put money. But Jesus is looking at us and is like, nope, there's no need to dismiss them. You, 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 you may think that you have the tiniest gifts, you, you may think you have the grandest gifts, you, you may think that you showed up to that hillside with nothing in your pockets except for some crumbs, you, You may not necessarily believe in yourself because you recognize how you disappointed some folks or you've disappointed yourself, but you, because it's not a fluke when Jesus says, you need not dismiss them. You have the ability by God's grace and the power that is within you to give them something to eat. to increase their reading rates, to change the trajectory of affordable housing, to bring peace on this earth when there seems like there is no peace, to be about justice when this world is so cruel and unjust. You. 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 If you have your commitment card in your, um, on your seat, whether you are going to fill it out today or not, I'm going to invite you to hold it in your hands. Because you may not feel like you, you know that you feel committed to this place, but I want you to feel the invitation to be committed to something. 
to be committed to something that is greater and grander than your own life. To be committed to something greater and grander than your human capacity might allow. To commit yourself to something bigger and more bold and more dangerous and more risk-taking than you believe is possible to accomplish. Because God calls all of us to do something. God comes to all of us maybe with a mighty roar or with a still small voice. When God calls us by name to be all in, God calls us for a purpose. So may it be that when we're holding on to our gifts and we're faced with mighty challenges, instead of driving the challenge away, that we might look up at God looking down on us and that we might, not with our memories, but with our imaginations, we might begin to see what God sees in us. And that when God calls us to be all in, when God calls us to commit, when God commands us to hand over our five loaves, our seven loaves, our two pieces of fish, our few fish, our gifts, our capacity to love, our words, our song, our resources. That because our imaginations have been so stretched by the Creator, that our response in the face of challenge might be, with you, O oh God, let's do it. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise that our lives could just be about living out days until the day we die to get to the heavenly realm. But that's not what you see fit for us. Instead, you see us as change makers and statistic shifters and healers and joy bringers and grace givers. You see us as stewards of good and gracious and gentle gifts. You see us as distributors of miracles. You see us as vessels of resurrection. You see us as ambassadors of hope. You see us as peace wrapped up in human flesh. You see us not with your memory of our brokenness or our woundness, but with your imagination that we are those who can do it. 
God, what you believe of us and what you believe of our gifts when we are all in. Help us to believe it too. That no gift is too small, no gift is too great because you are God. We give ourselves to you. We're all in, Lord. We're all in. We offer this prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who dwells among us and also dwells in us. Thank you. This morning, um, as we give to God of our gifts and our tithes and our offerings, you may feel as you've come to the end of this discernment period, that you know how it is that God wants you to be all in in this place. And we're going to ask you as an act of faith and also of courage to believe, not in what you can do with this gift, but what God can do with your gifts. Or this morning, it may simply be that in some ways you actually need to place yourself in the basket, not literally, but figuratively. That there's a part of your life that you have been holding on too tightly to that God is saying, no, let it go so that you might see the great miracle that I want to do in and through you. As you offer up your heart to God this morning in song, just see the beauty that God can do in your life because God is all in for you. So let us give with generous hearts this morning.